My name is Philip Hubbard. And my name is Anthony Gosling. And welcome to the 4am Coaches Club podcast. So, um, let, I think it's really important to start, but let, let's talk about the let's talk about the last podcast. I mean, I, I mean, I've I've had some I've had some brilliant feedback from it, and and it, it's been really nice to hear and and see older coaches and younger coaches who who've really enjoyed it and actually taken some stuff away, taking some stuff away from it. No, absolutely, Phil, and I think that's the main thing. And we're starting to see already after the first episode the things that we were hoping to get out of this and and help educate people and help provide rationale. And I think for a lot of people, some of the stuff that we've spoken about has sort of reconfirmed what they already know and what they're already doing, and it's good practices. I think for some people, it's it's challenged in a positive light, and we've taken some messages away and. And that has been fantastic. And very similar to you, I've had some very close colleagues and, and people I haven't spoken to a long time reach out and, and give some good feedback and constructive feedback. So for those of you that have already listened, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to do so. And if you haven't had the chance yet and you're, this is the first one you've listened to, please make sure you have a look at us on Spotify and on Instagram as well. So on that one, Phil, you ready to kick us off on to the next episode? I am, mate, and and it's one that uh, it's obviously one that we promoted at the end of the last podcast, and and everyone's uh, everyone that has fed back has all has said, um, can't wait to hear this next one. Um, I, I think I think politics in 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 sport or in football in general, I mean, I don't think anyone likes it. I don't anyone anyone likes politics in sport, but it's always going to be around and. And I think the the conversation that's going to be led towards today is is dealing with the the with, with dealing with that, this politics in the best way possible, um, and and dealing with those harsh situations that sadly they come up, um, but it's just how we deal with it, and we're going to talk about that tonight, and it's, it's something that everyone's I think I think people are looking forward to, and and are probably expecting us to to nail nail certain things. But all we're going to talk about really is how to deal with those situations, no matter how frustrating they are. No, absolutely. And I think you're spot on, Phil. And I think something that all of us who who have been in a sporting environment, a workplace environment, there's, there's politics left, right and centre. And it, it's something that is there as old as time. It's things that will be there for a very long time. And I don't think it will ever not exist Um within sport in particular that we're talking about today. And I think that's really important as well, is that this isn't something that's going away. Um, and we'll talk about today examples um, and how and how to deal with those things. And I think especially for me, I think the longer I work in football, the more I see it. And mm. I think some of it can be quite scary, actually, um, which we'll go into more. But um, from, yeah. Go on, Phil, you can set us off. What are you thinking about politics or what comes to mind for you uh, when I say to you politics in sport and particularly football? So, so, the, so the big one I get, mate, is for, for young coaches, but I say young coaches, but all coaches, is, is dealing with parents. And, and I think the most important thing is that, especially if you're dealing with kids, and, and by the way, it's happening at some senior levels that, that I've worked in, that You've had to firstly take the the side away that you're actually dealing with 
um, you're dealing with someone's child. Okay, so that's the first thing you've got to deal with is, is understand that you're dealing with someone's child and all they want is the best for that, for that child. So that's the first takeaway I would take away from this podcast today is that you have to have an understanding, which I think, I, I, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but massive, because if you're a young kid, you, you have to understand. You can get frustrated with someone texting you late at night, but you've got to understand that the one questions and they've got an emotional attachment. Yeah, I think you've got it spot on, Phil. I think for us as coaches, we will we'll probably say that parents uh, can both be our, our biggest and hardest friends to sort of have or our allies and factors within what we do as well. And I think on that, for me, I particularly see it more in the grassroots game than the professional game from from my experiences that things can become very political and very difficult for for these young people as well. And I think at the end of the day, we're coaching people to play mm-hmm. football. We're not coaching footballers, we're coaching people first. And um, I think yeah. I think some coaches forget that. And I think some parents forget that as well. At the end of the day, um that is that is their child and they're there as sponges and they absorb everything around them. And I think obviously I'm I'm not going off topic here, but I'm taking it into different directions without meaning to. Mm-hmm. But people forget that we we say as coaches, young people are sponges and they absorb information and they learn. But at the same time, if we put these young people into experiences and environments where things are heated and political and and difficult these young people also pick up on that they absorb that as well and um one of one of my old colleagues who recently heard on a podcast said about sort of we've got to spend a lot of time helping people win but also how to deal with losing Mm -hmm. and i think it i think it's important on that that if we're going to do that then these individuals become a byproduct of and yeah. we've got to find ways to be able to manage that as well. And I think one of the biggest allies that I know some clubs are very strict. Parents have to be on side, mm-hmm. and other parents, uh, other clubs, sorry, say parents. Well, like you've signed up, like this is it. Boom, let's go. Like our way or no way. And I think what we've got to find is a medium balance in the middle of that continuum yeah. um, to go from there. So. On that, Phil, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give a couple of experiences of how we can manage that kind of factor of parents. Um, I think, for me, something that I've seen in different clubs and environments that I've worked in is really homing in on parents and, and the family and the support network and coming together in pre-season and such and taking some time to connect with them personally uh, as a group on like a a welcome evening Um, I think what's important is that clubs still continue to do their welcome pack so it's something that parents and players and and family members can have a look back at a later stage but that initial welcome evening or welcome day or or an event they do so I know that some professional clubs do it uh, at their home stadiums in their first team stadiums Uh, I also know other steps two clubs that do it in their stadium as well and other grassroots clubs have access to 
can have access to certain clubhouses or things like that where they bring them together uh, as a team and get to know them as well. I think that's really important. So, for example, uh, early on in pre-season, so I don't know, let's, let's say most teams give their young players sort of the month of June off. Uh, some will come back July, come straight 1st of July training. Some of them come back and do more social events. And I think that's important. So um, having a welcome evening, which involves maybe one team or multiple teams, or if you're in an academy set up, multiple age groups um, and kind of getting to know the, the players, get to know the families uh, and for them to get to know the coaches and the club as well, because the conversation I was having this weekend is that most players, uh, their social agents and development come 80%, roughly 80% around their parents. And then you've got your teachers and then you kind of got your outside, uh, outside there. And I think for us as coaches, um, who are fortunate enough to have more than one session or, or more than one hour, just, you're, you're playing a big part in that young person's development. So it's important that the parents and the players buy into you early on in the season um, and, and put their trust in you because it's very hard to work for a coach and work with players that you can't build the trust. And it's, it makes life a lot easier when you have the parents on site. So an event like this is, is very much an opportunity for us as a club or staff to not lay down the law, but the standards and expectations. But it also allows for the parents and the families to lay down their expectations and standards of what we must provide their young people. And I think that's really important as well. And sometimes that isn't only mum or dad. Um, you have some other families that it's mum or dad or both or grandparents, aunties, uncles, older brothers. And I think that's, that's something that's also quite beautiful as well is that you do find some families that the extended family are, are so heavily invested in uh, that young person's football and sport that it makes it a, a, such a bigger family feeling. I think that's where you really need to spend the time is pre-season and, and potentially if you are in an opportunity where you can do team socials throughout the year. So I know there has been teams that where... Um, the players have gone out and done a social event such as like go-karting or paintballing or, yeah. or a, um, I know you don't have them up north, but like a top golf, which is like a fun driving range for golf. Um, we have, we have a version of it. it, does, it, does, it does, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's exactly top. Golf, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so something like that. Um, and just fun social events where it gets you to buy into those individuals and, I also know teams that where the coaches have then gone out for a meal with the parents at Christmas or something like that. And I think taking those opportunities to buy into the people as people, not just footballers, and the same with the parents, you've got to buy into them as a parent and as a person. And that at that time where mum or dad drop off little Johnny to the gate or to the Astro or to the pitch, like you have a duty of care over that individual. And if they trust you and they can connect with you, I think that is that finds a massive middle ground with you and the parents. And I think something like that really, really opens up and makes things a lot easier because at some point, I reckon for 99% of, of players, at some point there is going to be a difficult chat. And I'm not necessarily saying like a release or retain. You that, that is 
one difficult conversation, I guess. Um, little Johnny's injured, so won't be able to train on Tuesday. And then we'll have to do a non-contact session and then we'll have to do a return to play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also that little Johnny's unable to play this week because it's his week um, to do rotations and things like that. So I think on that and having had those experiences and situations that you've put yourself in and, and got to know the parents and the players a little bit more, I think it makes that conversation a lot easier. And as a colleague of mine once said to me is, it's never a difficult conversation, but it's an honest conversation. Um, and it's difficult because it has to be honest. And how you deliver that message, if you have developed that rapport with the player and the parents, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to have a more balanced conversation with that person. Um, and I think that's that's really important from there. So finding finding a way to get your parents on side and, and laying, do, laying down those expectations and and standards and, and requirements because I think on the same time as well, I think football's really becoming more than just a hobby or um, or something that a player wants to do on a weekend or a desire. I think it's very much, it's now becoming a lifestyle. And especially for those parents that in grassroots who put their hand up and say, you know what, little Johnny could be playing in a team team this season or next season. I'm going to help out and run the team. Those sort of things take over your life. Like I think, I yeah. think, I think of my own personal family life. Um, I have my mum and dad. I have two siblings. All three of me, me and my two siblings all played football uh, for the same club. Um, again, mum and dad worked Monday to Friday. Uh, dad had weekend shifts. But my dad then committed to running and, and supporting all three of our teams. So heavy graft in the week, heavy yeah. graft on a Saturday with my sister's team, work Saturday night and then games on Sunday and, and things like that. And I think people have got to realise that this is more than just one hour in the week, hour and a half on a Sunday or a Saturday. And it becomes a lot more of a lifestyle. And because of that, and that, uh, that's a very extreme case because my dad took on the role as manager and coach. Um, but then also for some of the parents that actually you've got to get little Johnny to train in at 5.30, but you finish at five o'clock. Uh, or, oh, we've got a game this weekend. It's a, it's an 8.30 or a nine o'clock meet for a 9.30 or a 10 o'clock kickoff and it's an hour away. Like it's become much more of a life. And I think that at times, I think and us as coaches, um, especially part, uh, I and mean, this is not digging out full-time staff, but part-time coaches as well and volunteers can really appreciate that because of we have to work full-time elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and, and I think one thing that that I've really taken from that last bit, and you've got to. I think as coaches, we have to understand there's probably going to be a little bit of frustration. It's something that really interesting that you've said because I've got a similar. Uh, a parent that does three teams. He's got four sons, um, and and one one's old enough now that he doesn't have to deal with it in his own mm. words. Um, and and it's really interesting because you must feel his frustration. Like, I, I mean, I I'm quite lucky that I've always had good parents, but I've always set rules up really, really, really early on. Um, and one massive thing that I think you said at the at the start of one of your examples was buy in. 
Yeah. I think buy-in is so, so, so important, right? Because I say now, now with a couple of years' experience, I'm at a club at the minute, and the, the first thing I, I say is, is do not text me the night of a game. After a game, if you haven't got on, you haven't started, you didn't get your minutes or whatever, don't text us after a game because you're still emotional and you're, un- you're irrational. So with emotion, you're not going to have a, 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 like a rational conversation. It's going to be fueled with emotion and that doesn't work. But if we say, so if you say to me, Phil, I'm really not happy that I didn't start. After the game, I'm going to be like, okay, let's speak tomorrow. And then you go, actually, oh, you know what, it was on Wednesday, I didn't turn up. I didn't play that well last Saturday. And then I go, right, okay, well, can I start you? Yeah, well, I've been good the rest of the time. You weren't this week. You didn't turn up. Like, you, you told us 10 minutes before the game that you weren't coming. So, and, and it gets into that conversation. So now I've got a mutual, mutual understanding with my club, my team, my players, my parents. And it comes from buying and understanding why we do those things. So I really, really took from that. No, absolutely. I think to kind of elaborate that a little bit more is that because it's such a commitment and parents and the players clearly have to buy into it, otherwise they wouldn't make those commitments, is that it's understanding both sides of the coin. I think, obviously, I'm not in a position at the moment where I have my own family or or I have children that play, so I can't fully, 100% to the extent, (laughs) appreciate it. Um, But having played myself as a kid, grassroots football, having worked in uh, grassroots and professional uh, clubs, I I have a better understanding than I I think people might give me credit for at times. And I think I do understand because some of these travels, even for grassroots football and, and uh, step one, two and three clubs and things like that and, and professional football clubs, there's some serious commitment in in what we're asking for these individuals. Um, and I think it's, it's important that getting parents on site and being very transparent and honest from day one makes a hell of a difference because if you're giving, if you're promising the world and everything and it gets to Christmas and you're not delivering, well, suddenly then it, it makes a little bit more sense why things are getting heated and a little bit political and, and difficult. However, transparency, consistency and honesty from day one, if if parents do have a concern or an item they want to bring forward, it's far easier to have that conversation with, at times, visible and real-life um, evidence, then I think it makes a world of difference. Um, so I think from that point, for me, there's for me there's different areas of politics within football and sport. And I think for me, you have the parents and you have the like sort of the people who buy into what you're doing. I think there's also uh, other coaches, and I think there's also club factors as well. And there's politics that can go on in, in a club as well that can potentially make things more difficult. So. I guess my question for you now, Phil, is sort of have you ever experienced any politics amongst fellow coaches in your clubs or um, or within the clubs that you have worked in as well? So the coaches and the clubs, really. What What's your thoughts on that, Phil? So so my bit, my biggest one, and, and, and don't get us wrong, it's probably in 17 years, it's probably happened twice. 
Um, now, in, in some clubs, maybe not ones that I've worked in, but definitely ones that I've, I've heard of it happening, is when, I mean, especially in, you'll probably get this a little bit in America, where your chairman will come up to you and he'll say, oh, listen, dad, dad, mama, dad, um, they actually fund quite a lot of money into the club. So she need, she or he, he or she needs to play a lot more. Yeah, but she's not good enough. And and when she, she, he or she comes, they, they, they mess around quite a lot and they're disruptive. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They fund quite a lot of money. So for this one, for this one's quite quite difficult, mate. I, I'd, I'd, and again, it comes down to buy-in. Um, so we all know that, again, it comes down to my son, I thought I'd have the best opportunities, the best chances to be the best football co- football player, rugby player, athlete possible. So I, I, parents have this wonderful idea and they go, oh, I'll, I'll make it look really good. Where really, and I asked the question to, I asked the question a bit to, um, to, to, to coaches and I'm like, okay, do you think they made their money by someone doing that for them? And then they'll get they'll, they'll get the answer no. So no, I don't think so whatsoever. Okay, so why would you do it for them? Because success comes from failure. And and I heard a part on a podcast uh, last week um, that success is failure's best friend. Um, and all you have to be on the bench. You have to be told off and, and nailed when you're, you're not doing the right thing or not, not exactly the right thing, sorry, but if you're acting up, you have to go through those stages to become more of a well, uh, I think personally, more of a well-rounded human, whether, whether, that, whether that sounds right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with being told off. There's nothing wrong with saying that wasn't good enough. But we, we kind of live in it. it it's, the culture has changed probably a little bit more than I'm used to. I've had to change my coaching recently. Just because it's slightly different now, you can't you can't run through people, you can't you can't shout and ball at people. You have to you have to give them the feedback and say, do you know what? You probably could do better, yeah. So you have to you, we've had to change and adapt it over the years. Um, but asking the right questions and I think what we spoke about last week was gauging people and and understanding people a little bit more. Um, one of my friends owns, owns, a, owns a business in the Northeast and, and he had to have this conversation where it, it, the kid's 20 and their, their parents rang up to talk to their boss saying, oh, I think you're being hard on them. That 20-year-old got nothing from that. Almost guaranteed got nothing from that. So when we're talking about it, why can't we just say, Coaches and okay, let let them come and deal with it with me. Let them come and deal with it. Or wh- where can we be stronger in terms of? Do I stick up for my values and go? No, I'm 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 not doing that. Or you'll have to find another coach to do it. You'll have to find another coach to to bring in to to work with them. And it, it's the it, you've got to look after the the chairman, the stakeholders, massive amount of stakeholders. So what happens if I don't play that child? Do they? Then all their funding. So do they, do they pull out their, their five, ten, ten grand that they're putting into the club? And then what happens to the club after that if that get put, gets pulled? So, I mean, it, 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 I think it's a really difficult one. 
And again, I just want to point out that's only ha- I've only ever heard of that twice since I've um, um, twice since I've I've started coaching. So yeah, it, it's it's one of those. Um, what do you think of how would you deal with that? Cool. <laughs> that's a million dollar question. That one. Um, no, I, I think that's that's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's no longer a uh, emotional investment is it in their child playing or, or a family member there's now sort of skin in the game like financial investments and things like that and I think that then becomes very difficult um, I think I think a very similar example is uh, somebody getting a, a senior role within a club and then family members being employed as well um, I think things like that is it's very different it's very hard isn't it because it's no longer just that you know what this looks good I want to sign up my player here or I want to play for this club it's now suddenly actually there's term- it's almost like it comes with terms and conditions right yeah. like it's, yeah. there's there's a very fine <laughs> right yeah like it's, it's, I don't know where that came from that kind of popped into my head but it's very much there's the small print at the bottom. It it comes with little things like that, and I think that becomes really hard, and it becomes difficult. And and in and with that, I think I look at I look at sort of some of the politics that goes on with the clubs that I have and do work in. I think I've I've worked for I've worked in clubs where we've had uh, we've been for a relegation. We've I've also worked for clubs where we've had changes in senior staff two, three, four times. And I've worked for uh, grassroots clubs in different con- uh, different countries, in, in different parts of the UK. And you see it in... And for some people, uh, they adapt. And for some people, respectfully, they, they decide to move on. And, and I think that's it's important that sometimes you don't allow the politics to get to you and change who you are as a person. And I think I, I see that a lot in grassroots. I think I've seen clubs that have gone from being very open arms to being very closed. And that kind of takes away the beauty and the fact of, of the things that they've done historically for a long time really well. Um, and I, I think that's important as well because politics changes people's identities and teams identities and clubs identities um, and I think it's important that through transparency transparency honesty and, and being very open is that there's then no shift there's no shift in people's beliefs and thoughts and as long as you have that continuality of those things I think it, it makes a massive difference so from that do I I speak to, I've spoken to a few people recently um, at clubs that I used to work at a long time ago. Um, and there's been changes. There's been changes of managers, starter people within the board. And it's caused major issues because they've come in and they've tried to change the views and the political, uh, political values as such of what's going on. And players don't buy into it other members of staff don't buy into it players then leave 
other members of staff leave and and it, we're, we're talking at like even at a grassroots level uh kids kids level senior level uh youth level is it's amazing how there's not many stones unturned in football or how this politics in sport doesn't it, it impacts everyone from sevens all the way up to community sessions to senior game to to everything and and with that I I can I can see it massively being uh, something that's continuously be an issue and with that we've now got a final way so on on that I guess sort of we've kind of briefly touched on it already but why why do you think Phil it is so difficult to deal with this why do you think it is so difficult to deal with parents deal with other coaches that might have different philosophies than you or the club and how why is it so difficult with what's going on in clubs as well how what can we do how do we go about it what's your thoughts uh, personally I think it's by having dialect and having conversations and, and by the way it's alright to disagree but I, I, I think people I honestly think people just hear like an argument or B don't know how to have conversations like me and you might sit and have a conversation right and you might go I love a 433 I think the 442 works a lot better actually but you then then you can't go well no you're wrong no I'm not wrong it's just a bit it's an opinion so I think I think we need to learn to have conversations uh, and we, we need to learn to have open conversations instead of being being vicious or being at it um I think that I think that we can actually have we can we can come on the same lines, but we can everyone can win, or no one can win. So it depends how you look at it, and you've got to be open. We've got it. Okay, um, the first team manager comes in. He goes right. Okay, I want all the teams to play four three three, and the coach goes, we haven't got the players for it. Okay, make the like train your players for it. Okay, well, I don't know how to do that that well. Do a CPD event on it, I, and most you know most managers and coaches and first team coaches would go, absolutely. If you think that's going to make our teams better, and it, all it is is understanding, brilliant. And uh, from the hierarchy, I think it's more asking questions. So okay, you, you don't think the four three three will work? Why? And all, that's all it is, is why. Um, so, I think this, this and this. Okay, great. What if we did this for this? So again, we go back to the we go back to having that conversation of going, okay, it's understanding. How about we do a CBD event, uh, event or do a presentation and put it online? It'll be like a 10 minute presentation and we can, you, you, can see, you can see what it looks like. Okay. I, I don't have the players for it. Okay, have you got, have you got a few sentiments? Okay, brilliant. Use one of your centre mids and put them full back or put them as a winger and train them. And then we're opening up. We're seeing if players can actually fit in different areas and that they're actually better. I mean, I, I look at Andy Carroll. I'm sure that probably that conversation probably happened at some point where they went, you know what it is? He, um, I, th- I think he was a he was a full back or a centre half. And then he played his professional career as a centre forward. So, that that transition had to happen somewhere. The most famous one, obviously, was Deli Ali, 
Christopher went, oh, his size isn't there, whatever. And then they put him full back and then put him back in centre mid when he got older. Mm. So it's about asking questions, engaging. I, I think actually just sitting down and having a conversation. And I know it's hard, right, especially at grassroots. So I always suggest having a Zoom meeting at the very start. We did it at a, at a club I worked at a few years ago. And it was just when Zoom had came out. It was before COVID. And it was just really hard to get everyone there. I think we tried to run like at-home events at the stadium two or three times and got like really, really no numbers. But then we did it on Zoom. Everyone was able to get there because then oh, like some of these guys that have kids, we have to understand that because they're people. Well, mate, I couldn't get there. I had to get home, get the kids dressed. And then I was going to have to come to you, get dinner, then do this and do this. And that's yeah, that's because you're a person and you shouldn't be here at this club three, four nights a week. You should be here on your training nights, here on your football games. And you know what it is? If you want to come in and have a chat, ring us and we'll come, we'll come and have a chat. But that comes from having conversations and finding out about people. And it, I mean, I go, like, I'm going to go use uh, Newcastle United, for example. Eddie Howe made all the players write down their families' names, their dogs' names, what they, like what their family do or whatever, who their, who their closest partners are, what they fear the most. Like a little slip, and he's managed to find out loads about them. But if I, why can't we do that from coach to player? Why can't we do that? So, sorry, yeah, like chairman to coach and coach to coach and safeguarding officer to coach and what and, and, and then everyone's ticking from the, from the same clock, you know? No, absolutely. And I think you've really struck something with me that I find, I think, I I feel like as an individual, me as a coach, when things do get heated or somebody needs to have a constructive conversation with me to feedback to me where things could potentially get heated, I'm very much of the opinion that I would much rather have that message delivered to me privately than also mm. I'd much prefer to deliver that message privately as well. So when things could potentially be an honest conversation, rather than rather than having to, I don't know, for example, let's say that getting emailed and everyone's been CC'd into the email or I've got to then put a message in a WhatsApp group mm. to say something to someone else, I'd much rather... And, and right here, Phil, like, if I turn around and say, look, I've got to have a conversation with you, Phil, about X, and then I post it all over social media, like, that's that's a difficult conversation where things, as a result of that, will then have consequences. And then you might turn around and tell me where to go and tell me, you know what, I'm done. I'm not doing the podcast anymore. But actually, if I had a conversation with you, Phil, and I rang you up after we'd done this and said, you know what, Phil? I didn't like this, I didn't like that. How do you think about potentially doing this? Having that honest conversation, but in the right format and the right environment, prevents having these difficult conversations where things could end up getting sticky and hard and, and brokenness. Does that make sense? So it's, it's very much how you then well, deliver those conversations around those dialects, because I think it's important to do it. And, and I love the examples you've given, because... It's all it's all positive and it's all towards the way of how to be preventative. But how what what can we do to actually that's not always might be the case. And I very much find that having those honest conversations that are difficult and that could lead to 
potentially some unfortunate places further down the line. I think it is put, and I think going back to what sort of I alluded to earlier, getting to know that person and understanding them, I think it's really important. And we won't go into it this evening because it's off topic, but very similar to learning styles, people have communication styles that they prefer. And I think it's really important. I think I can't remember exactly, but it was an unbelievable stat I heard this weekend that when you're having a conversation with someone face to face or something like that, 60% of it, it's like a, uh, the 60, 30, 10 rule. I can't remember the fancy name for it, but 60% of it of the message is relayed through your body language uh, yeah. and things like that. 30% of it's through the tone. Uh, and 10% is the actual content of the language that you use. And it really dawned on me that actually, like, if I'm having a conversation with you and I do it in the right way, that's not 100%, but far more likely to have positive outcomes that are constructive moving forward. But if I've got to have a conversation with you like that and I'm standing over you, standing up, you're sitting down, I'm waggling my finger at you, I'm shouting and things like that, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, that's going to break my trust and with you and, and things like that, I think. So it's just, it's finding those ways to have those conversations. And I, I know football for me gets sort of labelled as being cutthroat and ruthless. Which, <laughs> which I Which I believe it is to an extent. Mm. However, there is an awful lot of unbelievable, fantastic and quite beautiful things that are going on in football from grassroots all the way up to the professional game where things are being done right. Things are, we've, we, we're truly living and in, embodying the, the player development and people first over players. And there's some unbelievable content out there on social media, coaching courses, CPD events and, really developing a great environment for staff and for players is so essential towards maximum productivity and and doing what is best. And at the end of the day, that is coaching our young people or seniors for that matter mm-hmm. to be the best that they possibly can be. So I think it's really important to find the right way to converse things that are potentially honest yeah, and, and, and difficult. I mean, if we use last week and as a, as a prime example, we came off this call, we came off the off this off this pod, and and we we talked for another ten minutes and we're like, okay, what what would you change? And then and then we had that open dialect. Can you imagine if you went, oh, I disagree with what you said there? But that's the whole point in doing this because if we disagree, we're going to disagree on here. That's the whole point in it because you you <laughs> you're seeing firsthand how how those things come up and, and, and how to have those those interesting conversations. And um, I, I, I saw one the other day and I, I, I saw it, it was a, it was a full blown, it was a full blown argument between two coaches. And I was, I was literally, I, would, I, I was just going to watch my niece play football. And, um, and these two coaches are having a full-blown argument. And I'm like, I'm like not here. Just not here. Just relax. Go, like, go and take it somewhere. Um, you're in an under-eight game. Relax. It's okay. Like, you're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to disagree with what's just happened. But 
and and by the way, as a person, you you so you've openly admitted you don't like being like called out and whatever. Is that fair to say? Yeah, like I, I think that's the thing as well. If if it needs to happen, which at times I I feel like it is, then <clears throat> there there's a way of conversing that message where I think language and uh, tone and language and body shape and body posture and things like that are massive. So, but yeah, I, I just believe there is a time and place for every kind of situation like that, but just done in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mate. And, um, and it, but it, can, it can always be done in the right way. I think that's the most important thing. Everything can be done the right way. And, um, and with politics, I've got, I've got three rules. Be open and honest from the start and set boundaries. And and that goes for everything, by the way, even in business. And I had a, um, I had a conversation with a, a university lecturer about it and um, it, it contacted me and we had a lovely conversation for about an hour and a half about, um, about setting boundaries at the start. And it's okay to set boundaries at football, at work, with your friends, in your relationships. With you can set those boundaries quite quickly with conversation but I know people if you go if you go oh that, mate, that, then and I'll always hear this conversation going ah there's a bite there you go we've got the bite <laughs> get the fishing rod out get the fishing net and and people people then they'll do it but if you pull someone to one side and just look at them and go listen I and you don't have to say I'm setting a boundary, but you can do it by your dialect. And you go, listen, that made me feel really uncomfortable. I, I'm not, I'm not going to vibe off that. If you want to say something like that again, pull me to one side. We'll have a conversation, and we'll go from there. But don't ever do that again. And then you've set. A, you've, was that aggressive? Was that, was that overbearing? I've, I've taken the emotion out of it. I've pulled you to one side, we've had the conversation. So that, that's the first one, setting your boundaries. Second, the second one is, is help with understanding. Everyone's going through stuff. Everything, everyone's going through the, the, that, that own, their own journey. Try and understand people's journey. You don't have to understand all of it because that would take too long, especially if you've got 18 players, 18, 19 players. That sometimes takes too long. And you just have to have an understanding, even if it's the bare minimum. Like I, I don't know. Uh, I um, mom's mom's a doctor. Dad is a, a welder who's away for four weeks. There you go. That then now we understand a little bit about the household. That you may we might have to understand that the kid spends actually maybe a little bit of time on their own, or or that they defend for themselves a little bit when they come to football. They don't. They might not be used to being shouted at or or, or given boundaries or rules. Um, and the, the the third one for me would be going away with and thinking about the last thing, but giving feedback and making parents part of the process. And I love this bit, right? Because when you make parents part of the process, they actually understand a lot more than we think. So if I if I make you part of my process, okay? So say say Ant, that you're my coach, I'm the manager of the football team, and I go. Right, okay. At the start of every game, start of every game, we chat beforehand. At the end of every game, we do a really, really quick, um, we do a really, really quick rundown, and then we might do another one when we do the analysis. Okay, but then the players will go right. We do the warm up, we do the technical, 
we do the uh, we do the unit work. We come in, we have the chat, we leave. The captain speaks. Then we come outside, and then uh, then when you get over the white line, that's yours. When we come back in, we, re- we recap and we recover, and then we go through a quick two three minute recap before training starts next time training starts. So now all of my teams and all my players know that. So when they come in, they know they're going to be standing for about a minute talking about what happened in the last game and what we're going to work on during that session. And then the parents know that as well. So I think for me, Phil, to kind of sort of wrap up where we were and and moving forward on to the next podcast, I think we've both seen things become very political and then spiralled into a really negative outcome. And but then also seen things become political and then actually have positive outcomes from it. And I think what we've got to remember and sort of recapping is that if we get these people on side, not football players or these people on side, we can actually have things become really cohesive and and working towards the same things. And if not, I have seen things become very difficult and political in, in clubs and teams at all levels. And with that being done, I think one of the biggest things that it does is impact the individual's love for the game and for me that's that's a byproduct of of ill being and and struggling with effects of mental health as a result of of things becoming quite negative and and can be quite horrible so on that feel i think it'd be a good opportunity to talk about now what we're looking to talk about in our next podcast so if you want to take us in to what next week looks like that'd be great yeah, mate, and 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 we obviously we obviously spoke before this, so it's something that's quite raw, raw for me, and and, and I'm not going to bring it up too much, but um, it, it's around mental health for coaches and around mental health for young people, and 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 what sport can do for it, and how how we can su- support it, maybe not directly or take take on board, but how we can support it the best way we can. Um, just just want to point out before that though, because obviously it is a week away. It, anyone who's listening to the podcast and you're going through it, and if you're feeling it and you're and, and you're feeling anger or you're feeling those times of depression or loneliness, please just give yourself one more day. Please just give yourself one more day because you, you're it. What you're going through now is it a short term and it and it will get better, but you just need to give yourself one more day. Um. So that's what we're going to go into. But I just wanted to leave that message. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Ant, but it's obviously something we had spoke about just 20 minutes before we came on here. But yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about next. Oh, absolutely. And it's important that we look after ourselves and we look after each other around us. So if you do need to pick up the phone, text somebody, message somebody, ring them uh, and check in on them, see how they're doing. So on that, until next time, Thank you very much for listening. It's really appreciated by both of us and we're honoured from some of the positive and constructive feedback that we have received. So thank you from that. From me, have a great week. I look forward to recording next week. Look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. Thank you very much. Bye, bye.